Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, we can't do anything about six months from now. We've got to go day by day. If you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. We play in New Jersey, man, so there's going to be some chippiness. There's going to be some griminess. But we're leaving it within the line. And I'll take a team like that. Once a giant, always a giant. For me, it's only a giant. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by the USA Today Network. I am your host, Art Stapleton, and excited to be back for episode two. Thanks for all the feedback and the downloads and subscriptions from our debut episode last week. Today marks the end of the preseason and really the first step towards the 2021 regular season and we'll get into that with the new york giants and their path to 53 with all the cuts this week and the roster gymnastics that take place that'll be covered in a few minutes but on today's show we have a one-on-one exclusive interview with sterling Shepard. i sat down with the longest tenured giant at the facility where he's called home for the last five years and now entering year six he's the only giant Still on the roster from 2016 when they made the playoffs. So that's something to remember. So we'll have an interview with Shep coming up. And then we have audio from Daniel Jones and Andrew Thomas after Sunday night's preseason finale against the Patriots. And I'll give my thoughts on all of the angst coming out of that game regarding Daniel Jones' decision-making and Andrew Thomas's performance on the first couple series. And just the idea that the Giants are still dealing with questions about their quarterback and the offensive line, I think... I might be able to talk the fans off the ledge a little bit, but until week one comes, I don't think anything on the agenda will be making sure we subside those fears. They are what they are. That's the reality for the Giants right now, and I think they just have to own it uh, and get better at it. And that's really, I think, what they're going to try to do. Just a reminder before we launch into my breakdown of what took place with the 53-man roster. You could find All In with Art Stapleton on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Google, Spotify, Apple, anywhere you want to find it, you can find it. Just go there, please. Subscribe, download, listen, and then be a part of the show as we continue to progress and evolve over the next couple weeks and months and hopefully years down the line. But we will see. We'll get to that as Joe Judge says we're going to focus on today and not next week or three weeks from now or a year from now. Let's just focus in the now and keep our feet where they are. A little Ben McAdooism right there. But let's talk the 53. Were there surprises? Sure. I think there were a lot of fans who wanted to see David Sills make the 53-man roster. When I released my 53-man projection on NorthJersey.com, I don't believe uh, or I didn't believe that Sills was going to be on the roster. And it's not anything against what Sills did this summer. He earned a spot somewhere. The bottom line is the Giants just have decisions to make at all the different positions. And I think when it came down to it, they ended up keeping C.J. Board, Dante Pettis, 
and John Ross, and Sills was the odd man out. But don't fear, Giants fans. David Sills, the Sills Army, he re-signed with the Giants practice squad So he will be on the team, and he's essentially one play away from being called up to the active roster uh, and seeing if if that chemistry developed in the offseason with Daniel Jones, with Sills living at his sister's house in Charlotte, which was about eight minutes away from Daniel Jones. See if that chemistry uh, can pay off. But right now, Sills is back in the fold. Giants made three waiver claims that are pretty significant when you consider the talent involved and the young talent. They claimed Justin Hilliard, an inside linebacker uh, from the 49ers, played at Ohio State. He had a very good preseason. Kind of fills a a need for the Giants in that spot. Um, You know, they have some young talent. You know, Carter Coughlin, Tay uh, Tay Crowder trying to, to fit in there with Blake Martinez and Reggie Ragland is next to Blake. But I do think that Hilliard is somebody who they'd like to develop in that position as well. He's a good tackler. He's good in coverage. I actually liked him a little bit coming out uh, into the draft and thought the Giants might go in that direction when he was there. Colin Johnson, wide receiver, played for the Jacksonville Jaguars last year, uh, had a big game, ironically, with Mike Glennon at quarterback, uh, and then Johnson was hurt late in the year. But he goes on waivers. The Giants claim him. Where does he fit in? Well, it'll be interesting to see what they do. How much can he play on special teams? He played 38% of the special team snaps last year for Jacksonville. So you know Joe Judge likes that. Uh, So Johnson, intriguing. He's got some good size, and I think he's 6'4", 212, which at that point, you know, coming from Texas, uh, I think they like him a lot. So they grab him on the wire. And then the third one is Quincy Roche. Uh, I guess it's Roche uh, from Miami. Joe Judge was at his pro day, uh, which I think people maybe forgot a little bit. There was the idea that they were focused on a couple of the other guys down in Miami, you know, Greg Rousseau, Jalen Phillips, yet Quincy Roche ends up hitting the waiver wire and the Giants select him. There are now numbers at outside linebacker. I think they needed some numbers at outside linebacker. You know, Trent Harris stayed on the 53. Uh, I think Cam Brown is really more of a special teams player right now as he continues to develop. He's still pretty raw as that edge rusher. So I think Roche has a chance to step in and have an impact relatively early on. I think the Giants were impressed with what they saw at the pro day, and when it got an opportunity to, to add him to this team, they did. So overall, when you look at what they're doing, uh, I know at running back, Gary Brightwell really was the, the reason Corey Clement was released. You know, Brightwell, the last week and a half, we were in New England, we watched Gary watch Brightwell and the rookie play in the preseason game uh, was very good out of the backfield, you know, catching passes. uh, Obviously it's hard to judge pass pro in the preseason, but uh, I think Brightwell showed more up more as a running back than maybe anyone expected this soon. So he ends up making the roster. Corey Clement does not. I think when you look overall, there's still some need at corner for, Guys that will play in the nickel role. As I've talked, you know, Darnay Holmes had his struggles in New England. I know the Giants are working with him as far as the defensive holding penalties. I think Julian Love could play more in that nickel role than maybe we first thought. Uh, And then when you consider the offensive line, 
that is where the two trades, trading for Billy Price, which required them to deal B.J. Hill, uh, I think B.J. Hill was in danger of making this 53. I know there are people who disagree with me, but I watched all summer. B.J. Hill, I thought, was on the on the outs, and that's one of the reasons why they decided to trade him. Has more value with other teams than, than here with the Giants than he did. Uh, but I think Billy Price is somebody, going back to the 2018 Combine, that I liked a lot for the Giants. I think he's probably more of a center. Can play guard, but is more of a center. So does he factor in right off the jump? No, probably not. I think Nick Gates will be the center. But if they do have problems at guard, it would not shock me to see them ultimately kick Gates to guard and put Price at center if he develops in this Giants offense the way they hope he will. And then, obviously, the the second trade with the Ravens for, we're going to get this right, Ben Bredesen. That's how you say his name. We haven't gotten a pronunciation guard yet, but... Young guard from Michigan, was at the Ravens, was really an odd man out with the Ravens. But if you look at the compensation, Giants giving up a fourth-round pick and getting back a fifth and a seventh, the reality is that's a pretty good haul, for I thought, for, for Bredesen. Uh, I think the Ravens put a priority on getting something back that they would not have cut him if the Giants didn't come with a package. And Bredesen is very intriguing to me. You know, he was a, a fifth a fourth round pick last year actually seven spots ahead of Shane Lemieux and now I think those guys will go head-to-head at left guard now Dan Duggan of The Athletic reported yesterday that it's a partial tear of the patella tendon for Lemieux which sounds a lot more serious than really what the Giants have let on uh, when Lemieux got hurt but he's a tough guy he's gonna give it a go see if he can get out there and play but that's a spot to watch Bredesen versus Lemieux uh, at left guard especially if Lemieux can't hit the ground running and get up to speed very quickly um, so that's a spot where the Giants need to watch uh, they'll have three tackles uh, as far as you know Andrew Thomas Matt Parrott and Nate Solder We'll get more into next week, the rotations, and what we think we'll see at right tackle with Pert and Solder. Uh, on the inside, I think Kenny Wiggins will be back with the practice squad. Uh, that'll be something that the Giants will have in their bag, I guess, per se. But, you know, overall, I think the, the good stories of who made the 53, it's always a tough call. You know, you're always talking about how great it is for a guy to make the 53 without knowing the the next steps that'll come. Raymond Johnson III, the undrafted rookie from Georgia Southern, he earned a spot. He beat out B.J. Hill, in my mind, from watching him this summer. He's a great story. Could the Giants get into a situation where Johnson ends up on waivers and then ends back up on the practice squad? It's hard to say. Um, I, I just don't think... Uh, we really know some of these spots uh, until we get through this week. The Giants players will have off for Labor Day weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, they will return Monday, and that's when it's full steam ahead for the Broncos on September 12th. You know, I've been around the Giants a while now. I started on our coverage team with the record in NorthJersey.com in 2009. Worked with Vinny Detrani, a longtime legendary beat writer for the record in North Jersey. And then in 2011, I was part of our coverage team that went to Super Bowl 46. 
Jeff Roberts was the beat writer at that time, and I've taken over since then, and it, I've been on the Giants beat as the lead writer uh, for now, you know, approaching a decade. When you're with a team covering them longer, much longer than the longest tenured player on the roster, you've been around a while. And that's a situation I'm in with Sterling Shepard. Uh, it's hard to see Sterling Shepard as old Shep. Everybody knew him as young Shep. And when it looks to the value of what the Giants got, they draft him in the second round in 2016 out of the University of Oklahoma. He played on that team. It was Victor Cruz, Odo Beckham Jr., and Sterling Shepard. And that was supposed to be the group that took this Giants wide receiver core to another level. Now, obviously, we've seen different iterations of that through the years, but Shep was there. Shep was the young guy when this team made the playoffs in Ben McAdoo's first year. He was around. You know, he's seen the the highs, or at least the perceived highs, back in 16, and then the lows of the lows ever since. He's battled injuries. No one will ever question Sterling Shepard's toughness. I certainly won't. I had the opportunity to sit down with Shep at the Giants facility, back on the patio, overlooking the the practice field. So if you've been back there, you know planes always coming overhead. So we apologize for that as the interview. If you're listening, if you hear a plane going overhead, that's just kind of the way it is over, over at 1925 Giants Drive. And we just learned to kind of deal with it and put it aside. But here's my interview with Sterling Shepard. Dipping back a little bit to the past, looking to the future. I hope you enjoy it. I'm here with Sterling Shepard. Uh, Shep, it's been a long run. Uh, I mean, I've known you since you got here. Um, do you feel like you are the longest tenured giant? Uh, yeah, I mean, you look around the locker room every day and uh, you know, not seeing anybody in your draft class with you or uh, anybody that was even here my rookie season. Um, it's kind of you know, eye-opening, and uh, yeah, you can't help but kind of realize that. With the with the lessons that you've learned throughout your career as a trajectory, going into this year now, how much better of a player, or I don't even want to say better, but a, a more learned player are you now than what you were when you came in as a rookie? Yeah, I mean, I think that's just uh, naturally how it goes. I mean, you, even whenever you go to college, when you're a freshman, you don't really know what the speed is going to be like. You don't really know um, all these dif- different defenses and how they're going to look. Um, whenever you play the game, more and more that you play it, um, you find little nooks and crannies and uh different different tools and different techniques to help you out so I've been put in a lot of different situations throughout my career and uh, can honestly say there's really not much that I haven't seen or anything that's going to come at me for the first time so um, I'm a little bit more familiar with uh, different looks and different ways that I'll be played Uh, so yeah I mean it helps you play faster and um, just helps you all around within the game. Talking to Tyke Tolbert, uh, wide receivers coach, earlier this summer, he said that, you know, when he watched you out there, yes, the number changed from 87 to 3, but he doesn't think he's seen you perform uh, as well as you've performed to this point in the summer, and it doesn't necessarily mean game play, but why did you 
or did you feel that way when you stepped on the field this summer? How prepared were you to take your game to even an, another level? Yeah, I mean, that's always the objective is to take your game to another level year in and year out. But um, I just felt more comfortable with the offense this, uh, this season. And then I kind of knew that I was going to be getting back into the slot role, which I was super excited about. So um, I did a lot of studying on um, – you know, just being back in that role and uh, different looks that I may get and, and the plays that we're going to be running. I mean, um, you know, it's always going to help being in an offense for another year. Um, you kind of got your feet wet last year, but um, I still feel like you can't play as fast, even though you go through a lot of it in training camp and you get it down. Um, there's different ways that you can run different things against different coverages. So, um just my second year being in this has uh, definitely helped me play faster. And, um, yeah, ultimately I think that that's uh, the big jump for me. We can go back a little bit. I remember you as a rookie. And when you were here, it was, it was you and, and Odell and Vic. And, you know, they were kind of the older guys who took you under their wing a little bit. Talked to Vic a couple weeks ago, and he, he – talked about the your change to the number three and the bond that the three of you guys had mm-hmm. uh, take me back a little bit to the bond that you guys formed that year and and how really you know I guess there's that necklace that you guys all have with the number three yeah so uh, we all played number three uh, played college and wore number three uh, during our time in college so um, we all thought that that was a pretty pretty dope everybody has their own reasoning for wearing number three um, but yeah, for the starting three receivers and eleven personnel, whatever it may be, um, it was pretty cool to see that, and uh, we thought it was cool at the time. So <laughs> I forget whose idea. I forget whose idea it was. I think it may have been Vic's idea, maybe Odell. I don't know, but it was my idea, and. Uh, they got a, the three chains made. Or maybe it was all of us collectively. I think we were all in a circle. And we were like, man, we should get these chains made. And they were going back and forth on whose who's jewelry was going to make it and whatever. It ended up getting made. But, <laughs> yeah, I still had that chain. And uh, I'm going to hold on to that one for sure. Um, Odell didn't get the chance to wear three. He had to wear 13. Vic had to switch to 80. Obviously, he repped that 80. Mm. Um when you've watched film of camp this summer and you've seen yourself in three, does it look right? Does it look what you thought you would have been really for your entire career, that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, that's the number that I've worn since my father passed when I was six years old. So um, that's what I'm used to seeing. I wasn't really used to seeing 87. It kind of had to, an adjustment period to that. But um, I feel like I made a name for, for myself in that 87. It was just... Uh, I felt like if there was an opportunity to get back into number three, I would definitely do it. And I uh, honestly didn't think that that, that opportunity was going to um, come about, but it did, and I was all over it. Now, I, I don't want to make it about me, but I remember, I've, I've been with you since the beginning here, I remember rookie minicamp, back of the auditorium, Justin Tuck's retirement speech. Yeah. And you were in the back, and you were still, I remember my nephews actually were here that day, and they were asking you, are you going to keep 87? And you didn't know, you weren't sure. Obviously, you had the important part of your dad. But the idea that when Tuck shows up at practice here and you know they're talking to the team, do any of those flashbacks come back to you about when you were a rookie and you know how quickly things have gone? 
Yeah, I mean, that's funny. I mean, I kind of hadn't, hadn't thought about that, but now that you bring it up, I remember exactly, like, I can picture it right now, exactly what you're talking about. Um, but, yeah, it is crazy how fast things fly. Uh, you know, you definitely got to count your blessings every day. Just being able to be out and play in the game that you love is something that I'm super grateful for. Um, you got to love the game. I mean, Justin and those guys, they, they talk about it whenever they come back all the time on how they just wish they could get another snap. And, um, you know, when the days are rough and the days are hard, it's uh, you just got to look at it like, hey, man, one day this is all going to be over and you're going to be wishing that you're in these pads and working with your guys during a hard day of practice, a hot day of practice. Um, so it kind of brings you back uh, to, to the present time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's... It's crazy that you bring that up. How how much left? How much do you have left to prove in, in your game individually? Uh, I always have something to prove. I, I mean, I feel like it doesn't matter where you're at in, in, in whatever point in your career. You always want to um, prove to to be the best at your position or whatever the goals that you have. Um, you always have something to prove. Everybody wants to to play great and play to the best of their ability. So. Uh, I, I feel like I have a lot that I want to accomplish and, and, um, and uh, yeah, accomplish. And I want to thank Sterling Shepard for his time. Uh, we were in a, a time crunch that day. The practice was over at MetLife Stadium. We raced back to the facility. So I do appreciate his time. Players after practice are always dealing with a lot of different things, whether it's meetings, whether it's the training room, trying to grab lunch. So thanks to Shep for for kind of diving in a little bit about where he's at uh you know I've been asked the idea of with all the all the weapons on the Giants offense provided they all get healthy and Galladay and Tony and John Ross and Kyle Rudolph and all of that stuff I still think the most important player as far as a playmaker goes is Sterling Shepard we saw the impact that he had when he came back last year from the turf toe in Philadelphia a game the Giants should have won great play call from Jason Garrett at the end of the end of the game you never hear that right that it wasn't a great play call Jason Garrett had a great play call Evan Ingram just dropped the ball Giants go on to lose that game in Philly but Shep was unbelievable that night he's been a very reliable guy for Daniel Jones you remember what he did with his debut Daniel Jones with touchdown a touchdown to Shep that day Shep is one of those guys who will get out there in the run game and mix it up some of Saquon Barkley's best runs as a giant have had Sterling Shepard then 87 now number three out there in front of him making a key block to spring him deep so when it comes down to to Sterling Shepard I don't think there's any doubt the value that he has uh, with this team and it'll be fun to watch him he's been outstanding in training camp Uh, it's been uncoverable really so it'll be very good to see him get out there in the regular season to see uh, how he operates back in there as he mentioned in the slot uh, getting back to where he feels more comfortable and can do some damage in uh, coverage mismatches. We'll uh, we'll head into the audio from Sunday night, and you know when it comes to Daniel Jones, like like I've said, you know he had two plays in the same end zone on Sunday night against the Patriots. One he wishes he could take back, obviously, 
which is just more of the same of the, oh no, here we go again, Daniel Jones will never be the quarterback of the New York Giants uh, that leads them to the playoffs or championship. When he makes that decision to throw the ball uh, and it gets picked off, and they come away third and goal from the one with zero points. But then there was also the throw in the touchdown to Caden Smith that was really a tremendous throw. I mean, if there are half the quarterbacks in the league that can make that throw, certainly Daniel Jones is one of them, and he's made it on more than one occasion. I remember a throw to Rhett Ellison, I believe against Arizona two years ago when he was a rookie, that kind of throw in the end zone, putting it up there for the tight end. And the funny thing is, is I think that's the kind of throw why people think and why I think that Kenny Galladay will have success with the Giants is because Jones will put the ball and give his receiver a chance to go up and get it. And there are very few receivers in this league uh, that are better in traffic on contested catches than Kenny Galladay. So you'll hear from Daniel Jones and Andrew Thomas and what they thought about their performances on Sunday night. Again, I don't want to overblow it. I really don't want to look at it and say, man, the Giants are going to be terrible. But I understand why fans feel that way. If you had two concerns coming into the season, it's the quarterback making decisions and it's the offensive line. And you don't come out of that game feeling any better. I don't know if you should feel any worse, but you don't come out feeling any better. But they do have time to improve and get better and be ready for Denver. Uh, I think it played all right. Um, thought we did a good job moving the ball and, and uh, you know making some plays. I think um, you know obviously got to finish drives and, and finish with touchdowns. So um, you know overall, I thought we we did all right uh, moving the ball, but but got to shore some things up. When you take us through the interception, and does, it, does that spoil you know the day for you, or how do you sort of do that? Uh, look, at, I mean, I look at that play uh, independently. Like I look at all of them, I think. Uh, obviously a, a bad decision there uh, got to you know be smarter and, and throw the ball away in that situation uh, third and goal at the one so um, you know I look at look at each play independently and and uh, you know learn something from each of them so that was Daniel Jones obviously a mixed bag an uneven performance however you want to talk about it and look it, this is a season in which Jones is going to get the chance to prove himself that he prove that the Giants come December and January don't have to start thinking about their next franchise quarterback. So everyone was clamoring for Daniel Jones to play in the preseason, play in the preseason, play in the preseason. He plays in the preseason on Sunday night. The bar is low and, you know, unfortunately for Jones, he makes a decision that is going to cloud everything else that that he may have accomplished on Sunday night. So it's now two weeks of work and see where he ends up going into the regular season opener against the Broncos. It's not going to get any easier. So when you look at what he's been able to do and what he has to do, uh, I think it's just uh, one of those things where this is going to follow Daniel Jones until he stops making plays like this because it takes away from all the good that he actually does on the field. Will I overreact? I'm not going to overreact just yet. You know, he was playing in an offense last night that did not have the guys they brought in this year to make sure that the struggles of last year didn't repeat themselves. And that is something that you can't ignore. No Kenny Galladay, no Kadarius Toney, no Kyle Rudolph, and no Saquon Barkley, by the way. 
uh, who the Giants played 14 of their games last season without, really 14 and a half because he got hurt on the first play of the second quarter in Chicago. But in addition to Daniel Jones, maybe more concerning, and I think it comes down to the level of expectation. Left tackle Andrew Thomas, and nothing that I've seen from Andrew Thomas this summer would have indicated that he was going to have the kind of opening series or two against the Patriots that he did. I'm not looking to give a pass to Thomas, but I also kind of wondered if Josh Uche uh, and maybe a couple of the other pass rushers on New England had some tells from going up against Thomas in the joint practices this past week. Uh, and maybe they kind of knew how to attack him early in the game. Uh, you know, that, that again, is no excuse. But I do think that Andrew Thomas uh, needs to play better. I think he got bulldozed early and just really never recovered. You know, he's always going to be compared to the other three tackles that were taken uh, in the draft after him in the first round. And right now he's 4-4 four four in the public eye and really in – overall production in terms of where he's at but I do give Andrew Thomas credit for this he's been pretty upfront whenever he's spoken to the media about the things he needs to work on and with the control that the NFL teams have right now their public relations department and being able to determine who comes to speak to the media after games I have to admit I was pretty surprised that Andrew Thomas came out to the podium and talk to us on Sunday night. I'll have a little, little bit more on Thomas, but let's go to the audio from last year's number four overall pick and hear what he had to say about his performance. How you play tonight, especially on those first couple of drives? Uh, start off a little slow. Um, some things I got to improve on. My hand placement, um, staying uh, wide on my set, um, keeping the depth of the pocket. What's your confidence level at this point that this year will start off better than last year started for you? Confident. Um, that's the thing Coach Judge has been harping on this year is a starting fast. Um, even in camp and some of our practices, we started a little slow. So that's been an effort uh, to, to start fast and play fast. For you personally, I mean, obviously you struggled to begin your rookie year. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're in a better place where you can get off personally to a better start than you did last year? And if so, why? Uh, I think I made improvements, but there's a lot of things I still need to work on. I'm trying to fix those things in camp, um, just hand placement, um, and just being very consistent in my set. Um, sometimes I'll do it the right way. Sometimes it might, might might not be to my liking, so just trying to be as consistent as possible. Did you hurt your ankle tonight? Say it again. Did you hurt your ankle tonight? No. It looked like it was taped up over the... Yeah, I spatted it just for extra help, but I didn't roll it. When you look at the sacks that, that occurred, when you look at it and say, I need to, I need to do better on these things? So when I when I watch film, um, the first thing I look at is just my set because um, in my mind I'm setting to a spot, not necessarily um, looking at the rusher. Um, so I look at look at that, see if I'm square at the spot, um, and then after that I look at my hand placement. And then uh, I think on the first one today, uh, just trying to stay square as long as possible, um, not opening up on my third kick is the biggest thing. So that was Andrew Thomas and. You know, a little insight into the simplicity, but also the complexity of offensive line play. And I don't claim to be uh, an expert in that field. 
And I think with Andrew Thomas, last year was a lot of hand placement, hand placement, hand placement. His inconsistency in his sets that he talked about, I think these are fixable issues. Now, you're working with a first-year offensive line coach in Rob Sale. You have all of the coaches that are working with the offensive line, from assistant Ben Wilkerson, who returns, to Pat Flaherty, who is a consultant, to Freddie Kitchens, who really is taking more of a global view of the offense, uh, really from front to back, to try to fit everything together this year. Uh, and, you know, look, I think Thomas has the right approach. I think he's not focused on... The other three tackles, he's not competing against them. He's competing against the man that's in front of him. He's talked about running his own race, kind of staying in his own lane. I think that's important. But if Andrew Thomas does not play well this year, it really is a disaster for the Giants franchise. Because you could have a number six pick in Daniel Jones and a number four pick in Andrew Thomas. And then if you want to go to the number two pick in Saquon Barkley... All affected. They're all intertwined. And Thomas might be the key to allowing Jones and then Barkley to reach their full potential with the Giants. So, look, it's not going to be easy. Last year against the Steelers in Game 1, Thomas went against T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree. This year against the Broncos, he's going to go against Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. This is not an easy defense in Denver to play week one. So Thomas has got to get it together. Both he and Matt Parrott at right tackle with Nate Solder kind of sprinkling in. They need to perform better. Bottom line, that's it. Bottom line, they need to perform better. The Giants know it. I think anyone who watches the Giants know it. There's going to be a lot of hand-wringing over the next two weeks. Joe Judge and his coaching staff and these players have to get to work in practice and use their time wisely and be ready for the challenge that's coming when Denver visits at MetLife Stadium. So that wraps up this week's podcast. Obviously, we appreciate your listens. Please continue to download, to subscribe, and we want to hear what you like. We want to hear what you don't like. You want to keep reaching out, letting us know what you want to see in your podcast. So from us to you, we will stay all in, and we hope you do the same. See you next week when things get real.